Hello everyone, my name is Jared Altick and I'm a chaplain with the police department. The Hey Chaplain podcast brings you stories and wisdom about life and law enforcement, giving support and encouragement to those who wear the badge. Today we're talking about a program that takes veterans and first responders to the ocean and teaches them how to surf. It's an organization called Swell with 1L and it was created by an experienced cop who saw the value in this outdoor activity to promote health and wellness for other first responders. His name is Rob Sanderson, and he dropped by my office with a huge smile on his face to talk about these trips where he and his team guide officers through a weekend of decompression, good food, surfing, and peer support that's hard to match. Here's Rob Sanderson. Hello, Rob, how are you? Good, Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Tell me about your law enforcement career. What was your experience as a cop? Yeah, so I started the police academy almost a year to the date after the 9-11 attacks. So oh, okay. uh, September 2002, I uh, wasn't sure really what I was getting into. Just knew that, you know, I wanted to serve and, and do something to, to give back on, you know, kind of the reflection of 9-11. I started uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi as a patrol deputy in Harrison County. Okay. Uh, Spent four years down there. I was a field training officer on the SWAT team, uh, running around, you know, like any cop does on the midnight shift, just trying to get into stuff. <laughs> uh, 2005 hits, uh, Hurricane Katrina rolls through, uh, blows us up pretty good. I spent 48 days straight, uh, 16 hour shifts working the streets. Um, wow. Yeah. You know, everything from body recovery to just getting people food and water. While I was down there, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to meet some. A group of officers from the Kansas City area, and uh, they basically packed me in the back of their patrol car when they left town. And <laughs> about nine months after the storm, I, I found my way up here and spent uh, about close to 15 years here serving in the greater Kansas City area. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Uh, what was the difference for you now, apart from Katrina? Katrina was its own right. thing. But from Mississippi to Kansas City, what was the uh, uh, cultural difference in the departments? What was the police work? How was the police work different? Yeah, so I would say that Mississippi police work was probably like Kansas City was in the 70s, I would guess. It's like, you know, probable cause. We didn't really have that. We had just cause. Uh, (laughs) No, I joke. There were a lot of good cops down there. I kid, but they're uh, far more professional up here. uh, Down there would seem to be more of kind of a job. Um, and, and I'm sure things have changed since I've sure, left. But, sure, of course. Uh, up here, it was uh, they seem to be a little bit more advanced, especially when it comes to community relations and being kind of forward thinking and, and how they handle business. Uh, obviously, the pay is significantly better. Technology is better. <laughs> better training, just uh, better retirements, just uh, all around kind of a uh, what you would say maybe like the pros compared to minor leagues. Okay, okay. So it's an improvement for you, just as your experience what it was like to to function as an employee of the department it was it was a better experience for you 100% yeah 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 now that being said police work is still difficult and with Katrina and with other experiences you certainly had your share of of difficult moments would you like to share any of that today yeah so i here's the thing that when i talk about you know traumas and whether it be cumulative or acute if you don't take time to deal with whatever it is that's affecting you, that doesn't just go away. And here's an example. So I was a young officer, you know, 20, mid twenties, uh, during Katrina and I thought nothing bothered me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I just 
put my head down, worked hard, and then came up to Kansas City, never really addressed any of the things that I experienced. Eight years later, I was asked to give a presentation on my experience in Katrina to just my shift. So I was a corporal at the time, uh, mid-level supervisor. And as I'm giving this presentation, I break down in tears because mm. I decided at that point that I finally needed to deal with some of the stuff that I had dealt with. And I never sure. realized it was even there. Yeah. They had no idea it was going to affect you. No, like that. not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you take yourself geographically, emotionally, and just separate that, which cops are really good at. Yeah. Any first responder can just kind of put that wall up and pretend it's not there. Now you were speaking to your shift. So people that you were relatively familiar with, well acquainted with, how did they respond to your vulnerability? Uh, did they respond well? Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were, they were great. Um, you know, they, they understood, they, they knew, um, like I said, I worked for a very professional organization and, and they were well informed even back then about uh, officer trauma. And, um, you know, there was, there was no teasing or, or anything. Because any that's the fear. Effects. That's yeah. the fear that oh, if, I, if I show any yeah. weakness, they're going to pounce on me. Yeah, 100%. And I, I'm here to tell you, Jerry, that that's, that's such a false narrative. Uh, and, and really, even, even the most veteran officers, they don't think that way. And for whatever reason, that legacy continues uh, in the agency. And, and it certainly wasn't true in mine. Yeah. Excellent. With wellness officer wellness there's there is a lot of a stigma there's a lot of a fear about you know I, I don't want to even ask for help um, I don't want to be the weak link in the chain or or all sorts of different notions like that well in your opinion what's the the biggest issue in officer wellness today you, you know I think there's the stigma but I think more than that there's the um, resistance of acknowledgement. When you get an officer that um, has been on the job any amount of time, they know that when they're at work, they don't need to show vulnerability and that's dangerous. Mm -hmm. So they translate that into their personal lives and they'll prefer to let this, whatever the issue might be, whether it be cumulative or acute or whatever trauma, eat them alive as opposed to sit there and face it and raise their hand and say, I need help. Right. Right. So there's still that reluctance to ask for help. Is it reluctance or is it overconfidence? Like, well, I'm fine. I'm going to be able to manage this. I mean, is it both? <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a combo. I mean, it's, it's self-preservation um, to where, you know, they, that's how they've survived. And then it's also a little bit of ego. Like I can overcome this. This isn't going to affect me. This is just my job. And yeah. So the problem with asking for help is there's a fear that if, if an officer asks for help, that that's going to come back around on them and and it's going to interrupt their career. It's going to derail everything. They're going to get a fit for duty report and they're not going to be able to to contribute to the team. What's been your experience as far as as far as helping people ask for help? Yeah, there's that there's that thought that if I'm deemed that I'm not OK now, that I'm not OK forever. And the thing about mental health is you can heal from post-traumatic stress. You can yeah. heal from traumas, uh, much like you can heal from surgery. So, uh, you know, recently I had a first responder reach out to me and uh, the concern was uh, he had some significant issues and dealing with some significant things and currently off work for injury, but um, most of his injury was uh, mental health. And right. Uh, he was worried that if he reported that or went through the proper channels through insurance that uh, they would find out and then they would take him off the street forever and lose his job. Right. 
And so he was paying out of pocket to try to seek help from uh, different physicians that really weren't doing what he needed to do. And I told him, I said, you know, your EAP, your employee assistance program, they do have um, special counselors that are directed towards first responders. So uh, what I ended up doing is just hooking him up with uh, some of the people in his area that were with our program, and uh, they kind of coached him through it. And I finally convinced him to reach out through EAP, and he's doing better. He's actually getting the assistance that he needs. Uh, his department doesn't know anything about it, and I'm confident that he's going to pull through and be on the other side of this. And so there's not uh, – going and asking for help does not automatically mean that you're going to be painted with this you know, scarlet letter forever – and your department, your supervisors, they're all going to know about it, and they're all going to look at you differently. That's not automatically the case, right? 100% not. Now, if you're deemed to be a danger to yourself or others, that's something that your department needs to know about. That's something that your close friends and family need to know about as right, well. But right. that's, again, that's something that you know you can overcome. Just because you're sick today doesn't mean you're going to be sick tomorrow. Right, and, and, right. And you can come back from that. Uh, I've experienced people that have uh, battled substance abuse that have sent off to treatment, and they come back and they still have their job. And same thing with anxiety disorders and panic attacks and, and all kinds of other manifestations from PTSD. That, that it, it doesn't mean that your career is over and that everyone's going to know and there's going to be this huge stigma and everything else. Absolutely. Okay. So tell me about how you got involved helping other first responders with officer wellness issues? Sure. So uh, I started, I helped start our first peer support program at my department. Uh, that really kind of got me to be more of mind when it came to officer wellness. Fast forward a few years, I'm lifelong surfer, grew up on the coast. I've lived in Florida, Hawaii, California, Virginia, Texas, Alabama, Mississippi, Kansas, and now Missouri. <laughs> and what I, what I found was when I moved to the Midwest, I was constantly making these um, surf trips to buddies out on the West Coast or meet them in Mexico or wherever, Costa Rica. And it was, I didn't realize why I was doing it, but I was doing it on a consistent, at least quarterly or bi-monthly base, basis. And finally, one time I took a buddy of mine with me to come meet my friends and learn to surf. And it took me seeing what being out in the water did for him and kind of how that broke down barriers and kind of shed that armor that we always carry to realize that, you know, surfing is something that can help decompress and release anxiety and helps with mindfulness. So a group of friends of mine, like-minded first responders, veterans got together and we started SWELL, uh, which stands for Surf Waves Enjoy Life. And what we do is uh, three things, really. We take veterans and first responders on guided surf missions uh, out to the West Coast. We also do locals events out there in Huntington Beach. And then we, uh, we help underserved youth uh, learn to surf with the partnership of the Kansas City, Kansas Police Athletic League. And teach them to swim and bring them out there as well for a four-day excursion and, and teach them how to surf, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Now, what is it about surfing that you find particularly therapeutic and helpful? Sure. So when you're in the lineup, and the lineup is just past the breakers, right? So you're, you're sitting where the water is relatively calm, kind of rolling, and you're sitting on your surfboard and you're not facing shore, you're facing the horizon, this vast sea, this vast ocean. And you're focused on what's coming to you, not focusing on things that you don't have control over, right? Mm -hmm. You can't carry a gun out in the lineup. Well, I guess you could. It would just be a little weird. You, you don't have a radio on you. Your family isn't on shore shouting for you. You're just solely focused on catching a wave and just being present. How far out are you typically? 
You know, it depends. At that but point. I would say, you know, 40 yards or so. Not not okay. terribly far. Okay. But removed. Removed. You can't yeah. hear what's going on behind you. You can't hear the traffic. It's just, it's calm. And the cool thing is you might be amongst other people, but there isn't a whole lot of talking. Almost like golf. Like, it's it's almost faux pas to be out there and be super chatty. You can oh, say what's okay. up to your friends or whatever, but everybody's just kind of being and, and, and in the moment. And not only first responders, but just surfers in general are out there a lot of times just for their mental health, just for that escape. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm not a surfer, but I've, I've been at the ocean many times and I had just enough thalassophobia that, that being out in deeper water, Hmm. it, you know, that, that, I don't know if that's calming to me. Have you had officers and first responders out there that were nervous and they're like constantly looking for sharks or something? Have you had, have you had that effect or does everybody eventually calm down? What's been your experience? So yes, and that's kind of part of it too. Um, that that level of anxiety. Okay. So there's a study done by uh, Dr. Russell Crawford on surf therapy. What what he found was that the increase in a veteran's self efficacy, right? So okay. their ability to accomplish goals, tackle new tasks, was very beneficial. Maybe even far more beneficial to treating PTSD than traditional therapy. So. Equate that to what you were just describing with the anxiety about being out in the water. Most of the people that we're taking out there don't have a whole lot of experience surfing either, and they're very nervous about what's going on. But if you can get them to focus on the task at hand and then them actually being able to catch their first wave and stand up, the elation just erases all of that anxiety. And it, it's that improvement in self-efficacy, their ability to accomplish that and overcome their fears is really the kind of the breakthrough moment and and kind of where the the proof is so you're you're isolated you've got a task at hand it requires you to be in tune with what's going on around you uh, to be in the moment and so there's several features there in surfing that are therapeutic that are really helpful yeah and not only that but you're not in control so perspective right like if you go out there and you go i'm going to be kelly slater today you're going to get crushed because the ocean doesn't give to craps about who you are (laughs) so they don't care that you're the lieutenant or the captain or the sergeant or whatever officer so-and-so you need to be out there and be humble and then learn to work with the ocean right and you're going to get humbled because that's not an easy thing to just go out there and paddle through breakers and, and catch waves what kind of responses have you seen from people getting out there for the first time and experiencing it? Yeah, completely humbling uh we do a pre and a post survey we collect qualitative and quantitative data and some of the cool qualitative things are that this was a life-changing event for them. Uh, a lot of the men and women that we take don't realize that they need this decompression, this separation to to kind of reset and refocus their lives. Uh, so when they're kind of drug out there by their peers and forced into it, um, the realization that, you know what, I can feel better. I don't have to feel the way that, that I consistently do dragging this cumulative stress around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been super humbling that other people have been able to appreciate, um, what I've been fortunate to, to appreciate the last almost 30 years. What has been your best day on a surfboard since becoming a police officer? Jeez, that's a tough question. Wow. Okay. So best day on a surfboard since becoming a first responder. Okay, here it goes. So it would be, you know, the creation of swell and seeing kind of the the dream realized. The first group that we took out 
was a group of local Kansas City police officers who had lost their really close friend in the line of duty. Uh, he was murdered. And we did a paddle out for him. And the waves were just amazing that day. And everybody got out and everybody was riding waves. And it was only like their third day surfing. And the water was warm enough in California to where you didn't have to wear a wetsuit. So you're free. And the it was just crystal blue and just the smiles. And you can just see the elation and relief from all the stuff that they had to deal with. So me being able to share that with them and provide them with that relief is absolutely the best day that probably I've ever had, regardless of police officer or not, on a surfboard. Tell me what the community and the group is like when you're not on the surfboard. You're on the trip. You're, you've gone out there. What's it like when you're not actually in the water? Sure. So we provide a very organic kind of peer support type of environment. We all stay in a big beach house together. And those veterans and first responders that are help out with swell that are local to the Huntington Beach area, they come over to the beach house and we sit down and we have family style meals. And there's something about preparing food and then eating as a family unit after having that day at the beach. There's just something that's, I don't know, I'm going to call it magical. So whatever, make fun of me. But there's something about that that's just very healing and soothing. Um, and, and whether or not you talk about your traumas or or you just you're just there enjoying the moment really it's provides the same sort of relief how many participants open up and share a lot is that common or is it just maybe one in the group or how does that you know there's uh, yeah i would hate to say a particular number I, i don't know that i could but probably the best example of what you're talking about was we had a uh deputy from the california area that was shot in line of duty and he was working the the train station, basically, and he got into a fight with a guy who took his gun and shot him in the face. <laughs> and as the deputy is laying there bleeding, people are running up and putting him on Facebook Live, and he's literally drowning in his own blood. And first couple of deputies arrive, and they uh, try to help him out, but they're new, and they don't really know what they're doing, and they're telling him to lay down, and he's just further drowning because they're having him lay back. Well... Here comes a CHP officer, doesn't know the deputy from nothing, here's a call for help, dumps his bike, runs over there, and he's a combat medic. He sees these deputies and not performing what they should be, gets the deputy over on his side, stops the bleeding, puts his hand into the deputy's face, and gets to the hospital. And the CHP officer spends the next several hours at the hospital covered in the deputy's blood, just wanting to know if he's going to live. They don't know each other, so deputy's in a coma, finally pulls through, CHP officer leaves. Three years later, the guy gets, the bad guy gets sentenced. And these two officers haven't seen each other since the incident or Mm. talked. We reunited them at the beach house and they both had a love of cooking. So over the grill, I'm sitting out there and I'm listening to them relive that story. And it was cathartic for both the officers to kind of see that the other one is doing okay. To see the one thank the other and... Uh, just just a real cool moment, and yeah. it was completely organic. It wasn't like, "Hey, remember this guy? Sit down and talk about it." It was right. It all just, just natural, happened. Yeah. supernatural, and um, yeah, that 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 happens quite often. That type of event. Now, that's a you know a pretty special event to have that 
to yeah. have those people reunited. But but that's the kind of potential that a setup like this has, where you, you bring people together, you're focused on surfing, you're away from the other pressures, you're taking a break and getting healthier, and, and you know, good breakthroughs like that can happen sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's the venue for it, for sure. Yeah, awesome. How many first responders have you been able to uh, involve in the program so far? I think the last count was around 22 or 23, and we're in our second year now. Okay. What are your plans for the future? I mean, how how far can you take this, and is it something that you can can multiply? I mean, will you have, like, multiple trips going on simultaneously, or is it just a – are you keeping it small, or what, what's your what's your plan? Yeah, the, the key future? is to scale. I mean, funding is, is – you know, the biggest obstacle, like any nonprofit, especially one making surf trips. So, um, the goal is to, to find, you know, lines of revenue and, and generate enough funds, um, to continue to make trips. We can, we're in a position where we could make monthly trips had we, if we have the funding, but at this right. point, you know, quarterly is, is kind of the goal. The way that we raise money is generally through, uh, we'll have fundraisers. We actually have one coming up at the police athletic league on May 21st. We also have gear that we sell donations. Obviously we're consistently looking for corporate sponsorships. So I'll sell a kidney to make a, make a surf trip happen. <laughs> Does it cost anything to the first responder who's participating? Absolutely not. And everybody okay. that is a part of swell is a volunteer. Nobody draws a salary. Give me your best elevator pitch. Uh, why should someone consider going to the West coast and surfing in order to have better officer wellness? You know, you can, you can sit and stew in your own mess or you can do something about it and really take advantage of, of opportunities to learn a new skill, to get out of your comfort zone, um, try something that that isn't native to the to the midwest and then come see what it's all about you know the the fellowship the brotherhood the the peer support that you get out there and the relationships and bonds you form with the other like-minded people is is lifelong um so you know if it's not surfing then get out there and do something that's of value that you can be in nature and really be mindful well, Rob, thank you for coming in today. I really appreciate you and the, the work that you do with Swell. It's really impressive. Thanks, Jared. I appreciate you having me. And mostly I appreciate the fact that you're able to shed more light on officer wellness and, and how important that is, not only for the officers, but also the community. So thank you. Thank you. So thank you to Rob for taking a healthy activity he had in his life and using it to help first responders and veterans be well. He's created an organization that promotes health and wellness by teaching them a new sport that they can use to decompress. Swell simply asks, help us keep the good ones good and healthy. So if you can help with this mission, go to their website, theswell.org, and find out how you can donate and otherwise support the work that they do. I also want to give a shout-out of appreciation to Detective R.J. Ashley from the Bagpipes episode number 17 for recommending Rob Sanderson and Swell and helping me with this episode. Now, if we could just arrange for R.J. to play his bagpipes while on a surfboard, I'll make sure we get a picture of that for posterity. It might even become the episode cover art for the next time R.J. joins us. Speaking of cover art for the podcast... I recently had someone online ask about it and about the name of the podcast. They thought it was confusing, that it was asking for chaplains to be the listeners, that maybe it was only for chaplains. 
Actually, it's called Hey Chaplain because that's how a lot of cops have addressed me through the years. I've joked that if Hey Chaplain is my first name, then my last name must surely be Please Don't Stand There. The show title also represents what is happening in the podcast. That cops come and tell me their stories. They literally are saying, Hey Chaplain. And the title is intended to be the voice of the police officers I serve as they share their experiences and wisdom with one another through this podcast. But I understand if all of that got lost in translation somewhere. So tell the cops you know about this show and that it is intended for them as the primary audience. And then I hope that we also get other listeners, law enforcement spouses and their families, retired cops, civilian law enforcement employees, dispatchers and other first responders, and yes, even chaplains. Hopefully all of them will find encouragement from the guests of this show. On the next episode of Hey Chaplain. Happy birthday! The Hey Chaplain podcast turns one year old, and we have a special treat for you. We're doing follow-ups and business checks with some of our past guests. Find out who has been promoted, who has changed careers, and who has kept plugging away doing the good work that they've always done. We catch up with some of your favorite guests to get a few updates and have a few laughs. This episode will be a lot of fun, and I can't wait for you to hear it. That'll be episode 29, follow-ups and business checks, the Hey Chaplain first anniversary episode. The views expressed here are the personal views of the host and our guests and do not necessarily represent the views of any law enforcement agency or its components. If you like what you heard here, please share this episode with a cop or someone who loves a cop. Thank you for listening today, and as always, pray for peace in our city.